Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So yesterday we started the show by saying that when you have the kind of performance in the NFL draft that Georgia had, punctuating the kind of season that Georgia enjoyed, that we as sports fans sometimes have a little bit of a job to just stop and appreciate it fully, to not try to turn the page too quickly, because by doing so, you aren't probably giving the full historic weight to the moment that we've all just experienced. And so yesterday, before we kind of got too deep into what's next, we wanted to kind of stop and say, okay, what is happening right now? What are we still enjoying in the present tense? And I think the NFL draft was so enjoyable for many of us. Well, we've done that now. And I think it is now time to start thinking about, okay, what does that mean for Georgia in terms of what comes next? How does Georgia reload for the upcoming season? And was the year that Georgia enjoyed in 2021, was that just a kind of a special outlier or was it the start of a level of dominance that's going to continue year after year after year? Georgia fans are obviously really curious about this, but other non-Georgia fans are probably really curious about this too. And there's a pocket of you know, folks who seem to be really hopeful right now that just maybe Georgia might come back to the pack here for a little bit, that just maybe Georgia might not quite run off and hide from the rest of the country in 2022 the way they did in 2021. Give Tennessee a chance or give Florida a chance or just give somebody else a chance to feel like they're a part of this discussion in the SEC. Please, Georgia, don't make this upcoming season quite so boring. Don't make this upcoming season quite such a foregone conclusion. What Georgia won the SECs last year, uh, October 29th or October 30th or something like that. You know, the calendar hadn't even turned from October. Georgia had already won the division as early as anybody ever had. And there's just like a seemingly just this, this wish on the part of many in the media of please don't let it be quite so easy again for the upcoming season. Please, surely, if Georgia's lost 15 guys off its team five different guys in the first round off its defense surely Georgia must be ready to drop back to the path a uh, pack uh, a little bit for the upcoming season well if that's what you hope and if you're non-Georgia fan tuned in today maybe you do maybe you're tuning in for some evidence to take back to your friends of yeah Georgia is going to be a little bit worse for the upcoming season you might not quite get the evidence that you want from that at least based on one of the quotes I want to give you here right now Mark Schlebaugh has got a story up at ESPN.com where he's kind of looking at some sort of hot take type stuff for the upcoming season and one of the things that he addresses is the idea that Georgia could regress some based on how much it lost off last year's team but one SEC coach quoted anonymously by Schlebaugh doesn't think that's the case here's what he says he says they might have three or four NFL players on defense next season instead of five or six. In other words, they've still got more talent than almost anybody else. That is the SEC coach quoted anonymously by Mark Schlebaugh at ESPN.com. So for those hoping, oh, the Georgia defense won't quite be so good next season, for those hoping that maybe this won't quite be such a dominant defense, the SEC coach says, yeah, maybe not five or six first-round picks, but still like three or four on that defense. In other words, they're not dropping back to the pack all that much which I think for those of us that are pretty plugged into Georgia football this is probably something that we kind of already expected to be true there are a lot of 2023 mock drafts out right now and 
for the most part, you're going to see three Georgia players commonly mentioned in those early first round mocks for next season. Jalen Carter will be in every single one of them. That's one of the best players in college football, probably the best player on the Georgia roster. That's kind of a rubber stamp. He may roller skate his way into the first round uh, next year. That's very easy to assume. Uh, Keely Ringo will probably be in most of those mock drafts, not just because he was the hero of the national championship game, but he's got the kind of size specs, the kind of athletic specs that NFL teams seem to be looking for. No, not seem to be. They are definitely are looking for. Uh, Ringo seems to match up with that there pretty well. It's going to be pretty easy to start projecting him as a first round pick, and we'll see if he plays that way this upcoming season, but the projections will kind of have him there. The next guy is probably Nolan Smith. Obviously, Smith came back to Georgia for a reason. Among those is to impress those NFL scouts he's going to get dinged for his size a, a little bit you've heard that talked about before as that kind of edge rush coming off the outside not always as big as some of the best are in that category but he also brings plenty of speed and athleticism to the table and he could have a big stat line this year and kind of in many ways could be the focal point of the Georgia pass rush that's going to be pretty easy to put him in that conversation too especially given the fact that he was forming the number one recruit coming out of high school but when you're thinking about those early mock drafts for next season those are the three easy guys Jalen Carter Nolan Smith Keely Ringo in fact a couple of weeks ago we even kind of said that even before these mock drafts were coming out that those were the guys that you'd probably see the most often there but that leads me to something else it leads me to a conversation that we've had now for just about you know about a year or so when it comes to Georgia last year I got some grief from some of you and listen I don't mind some good-natured ribbing every now and then nor do I mind some honest authentic feedback it's always appropriate to get that and one of the things that I was hearing a lot from you last year was BA why are you saying the same thing so much when it comes to Georgia because it was about this time exactly a year ago we talked about what the NFL draft was proving about teams that wanted to win a national championship not just Alabama who'd won it the previous season but LSU the year before that Clemson the year before that on and on you could go there is a very high benchmark of talent that you have to have in order to put yourself in the national championship business and anything less than that's probably not going to be good enough what we said a year ago was you got to have about a half dozen or so first round type guys now uh, ultimately Georgia had five with you know a couple of second round guys that could have potentially worked their way into the first but you got to have about that half dozen or so number maybe in some cases these are players who are too young to be draft eligible playing in a first round level and eventually they'll be first round picks there's a couple of different ways to kind of slice this up chop it up but if you want to be a national champion you got to have about a half dozen guys somewhere who are playing at a potential first round level on your team either for the following draft right after you win the national championship or some draft you know two three years down the line you got to have those first round picks there and if you don't have those you simply don't have the requisite resume to cross the threshold of being a national championship team so what we said about georgia a year ago was when you look around around this time you know back in 2021 you didn't necessarily see six guys who were of that category you saw some guys that had the potential, probably a little bit like we do right now. You know, you know, a handful of guys that become easy to assume, a couple of other guys you may cross your fingers and hope for, but you were having to ask a few guys to play above their projection to get into the national championship conversation, and ultimately that's exactly what UGA did. So for this upcoming season, interesting to hear the anonymous coach quoted by ESPN, the one I read a moment ago, saying, yeah, they're like three or four guys on defense. We would probably agree with that. 
But three or four guys on defense allows you to, you know, certainly win the SECs, be back in Atlanta, you know, competing for the SEC championship, a fringe playoff contender possibly. But three or four pros in your defense isn't going to be enough to be the national championship team this year that Georgia was last year. That's not going to quite get it done. So if Georgia traveled the path last year of developing half dozen or so guys with the potential of being first round picks, using that to win the national championship, trust me when I tell you, they are going to have to do the same thing again for this upcoming season in order to be able to get that done. And some of you who are a little frustrated because last year I kind of said that over and over and over again, you are going to hear me say that over and over and over again this year again too because of how true it proved to be last year. Now some of that may also be on defense because I said before, you know, you may have three or four guys who are draft eligible for 2023 who play that way in 2022, but you also may have a couple of young guys, right? I mean, how many like elite, you know, top level prospects, very young does Georgia have in its secondary? How many, you know, kind of green haven't really played that much young guys does Georgia have among, among its linebacker core? You know, you may have some young, not yet draft eligible players who end up stepping up and playing very well for you, eventual first round picks who are just not old enough to be that yet. So Georgia's defense may actually have more than just three or four future first round pick type guys. They just may not quite be draft eligible just yet. So the actual talent on the Georgia defense may be a little deeper than the one SEC coach gives it credit for. But when it comes to guys who are going to be draft eligible for the next NFL draft, the one that takes place in the spring of 2023, if you've only got three or four of those guys currently on your defense, what does that mean? It means the real room for growth, the opportunity for a value add for Georgia for this upcoming season, that may be on the offensive side of the ball. And it gets, at least to me, maybe you feel differently, but it gets a little bit fun to me to think about, ooh, so the version of Georgia that might compete for a national championship in 2022 might actually look a little bit different than the one that did so in 2021. Still dominant on defense, but maybe a little bit more complementary football, even though last year's team was pretty complementary in terms of offense and defense functioning well together. Maybe this upcoming team, even more parity in that regard, even more of a balance between what, what this team does defensively, what this team does offensively. So when you start thinking about, well, who's Georgia's six? Who's that half dozen? Who's that group of future high-value NFL prospects that are the signal that Georgia's on its way to competing and possibly winning another national championship, but they really are going to emerge. I think it becomes very easy to start there with the offensive line. You know, a guy like Broderick Jones in a discussion like that, a guy like uh, Warren McClendon, the other tackle in a conversation like that. I think Cedric, uh, Cedric Von Prahn could be in a conversation like that. I think it becomes very easy to start with the offensive line. But I don't think offensively that's where that ends. I think offensively that can also include a collection of some of the playmakers. Now, eventually, we'll assume that Brock Bauer is going to be a first-round pick. He won't be draft eligible after next season. But eventually, you start to think, well, he's maybe one of those guys there as well. Certainly would have the appearances of doing that right now. I'd be kind of shocked if he didn't. So that's one of your future first-round picks. He's just not quite draft eligible as of yet. But what else do you have offensively? Well, you can make a case for like an A.D. Mitchell maybe growing into that role. Other guys kind of growing in that role. The running back spot maybe some uh, a bit there too. But let's pause for a minute and think about what happened this spring. And, and this is where I'm going to do something that I said a few weeks ago I'm not going to do. I told you for a while that when it comes to the performance of uh, Arik Gilbert during the spring, 
I was going to be very slow in terms of embracing the hype that was growing around him. I was going to be very slow in terms of fanning the flames on that myself because I wanted to have respect for the journey that he was on that took him away from football for a year and is kind of bringing him back. I wanted to go slow with that. That's kind of what Terrence Edwards, his mentor, encouraged us to do. It's kind of what Kirby Smart himself had encouraged us to do. And I'm going to still respect that idea. But did you like what you saw from Gilbert on G-Day catching a couple touchdown passes? Did you like the whispers and the rumors that you heard from Gilbert throughout the spring? One of those guys who was really being discussed and touted as as a guy that was finding a home in this offense were you reminded of what made him such a valued prospect coming out of high school does the possibility exist here that for georgia who's looking for its next crop of elite offensive weapons or just or just elite future draft picks does the possibility exist here that that Gilbert's now kind of back on track to maybe be one of those guys, much the same way we thought he would have been when he chose LSU over Georgia as a five-star prospect coming out of Marietta High School? I think on the list of guys who could have those breakout seasons, I think you have to include Gilbert. And if you want a reminder for why that might be true, let's go back and hear Kirby Smart after G-Day on that very topic, uh, or just the topic of Gilbert in general. This is what Kirby said back then. Kirby's a really uh, tough physical player that's done a good job. Um, he's... I'm more proud of the practices he had leading up to the day than today. I mean, today was a little bit icing on the cake. He got some good breaks. He had a ball that I think Stetson was throwing away that he ended up making a play on. Um, but you know, he's not where he needs to be either. There were two missed assignments where he didn't block a guy that, that you know, in the run game could kill us. We had tackles for loss, and, and we ended up uh, not blocking a guy. And he, he, did, he, wouldn't, he didn't really have those kind of plays uh, during the spring. But his conditioning level, He's got to continue to improve. He lost uh, a lot of weight, but just what he's been through and overcome is such a great story, uh, but he's not where he needs to be. He'll be the first to tell you he's got to continue to, to grow, to get in shape, to change his body, uh, and get an opportunity to help us with, with the two other guys we've got coming back. You know, it, it makes it a, a luxury of, of those guys being able to make us a, a special football team. So here's my point, and it's probably a little bit different takeaway than Kirby Smart would prefer that I have on that clip. If Gilbert's already doing what he's doing when the conditioning is, in Smart's mind, still an issue, how much better will he be when he is in pristine physical shape, which I'm guessing he will be come the fall. Now, the point here in all of this is, is not to say Eric Gilbert's going to have an awesome season and Eric Gilbert's going to be a first-round pick next year. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, for Georgia to get back in the national championship conversation for next season, much the same way it put itself in that conversation for 2021, you are going to have to have breakout stars emerge. And of the guys who could be that, Gilbert is pretty, is pretty clearly a candidate for that. So the wrap up, the bottom line on all this is, is this is where the fun starts. We can look at Georgia for the upcoming season and say, Jalen Carter, barring injury, almost certainly will have a great season. Keely Ringo, barring injury, almost certainly will be some version of a sure thing there in the cornerback spot. We'll see how high the ceiling is, but there's a baseline level of performance you almost certainly know you're going to get. Uh, Nolan Smith, probably some version of that too. Maybe the ceiling's even higher than we realize, but we know the baseline for him is probably pretty good. That's a guy coming back, very big deal. You can kind of put him in the category of guys that you feel really strong about. Offensive linemen, maybe you feel pretty good about some of those guys in the upcoming season. But who are the breakout guys? Who are the stars that emerge? If Georgia's going to be as good as it can be, who are the guys that propel past their current expectation to get Georgia there? 
And it becomes really fun to imagine that. And I don't know there's any more fun name to imagine that category than possibly Reed Gilbert. Will he get there? We'll have to find out over the course of the summer and into the fall. But tuning in to figure that kind of stuff out is what makes us college football fans in the first place. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we are glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, starting at 945 for our first and 15, dognation.com and the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, we're on the radio at noon. Great to be back there, by the way, Athens Sports Radio 963F, and as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com, Apple, Spotify, everything else. Just really happy to have you as a part of the program. And a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia making it all possible. You know, we love ESOG because what they do is provide a great service to those of us who are homeowners. When you're a homeowner, you understand how much certainly financial investment you have in your home and how much emotional investment you have in that there as well. It's just really important to take care of it the best you possibly can. That means noticing signs of problems. You know, last night we had some storms, had some rain. When some of you see that, you see evidence of what might be a problem there around your home. You see water creeping into your garage, your crawl space, your basement, maybe somewhere else there as well. And you know that's the kind of thing that needs to be seen about. That's what Engineered Solutions of Georgia lives to serve you on. They are a solutions-based company when it comes to your waterproofing stuff. They want to keep that water where it's supposed to be on the outside of your house, not getting inside. And the same thing's true for those foundation issues there as well. You see it right there on the uh, side of the truck for those of you watching the video cracked walls you've seen those before many of you have anyway and you know you need to get that scene about well let me tell you that the conversation with engineered solutions of georgia is one you want to have it's not a pressure deal it's one of those things where they're actually going to make you feel better about your situation because they're a solutions-based company and many times what they're going to tell you is your fix for your issue is actually a lot smaller than maybe you thought it might be initially they know if that's true or not because they have two full-time engineers on staff. These are smart people dedicating their life to helping all of us with the issues that we might have when it comes to foundation waterproofing issues around our home. Here's the other thing. They've been longtime friends of ours here at Dog Nation Daily. They're loyal. They show up and support us year after year after year, which we're incredibly grateful for. And they're proud partners of UGA there as well. Always great to support those that support the dogs. ESOG does. So give them a call. Engineered Solutions of Georgia. You can find them. 678-ESOG-NOW. That's right. Dial that number. 678-ESOG-NOW. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're going to get in touch with Connor Riley here in a moment. I'm looking forward to doing that. Before that, though, I want to make kind of a simple point here as we go around the doghouse so when we talk to connor in a moment we're going to talk about the aftermath of the nfl draft for georgia and obviously it's a very good one lots of good things happen for georgia because of that draft and because there were five first round picks on defense i think it could be kind of commonly assumed of oh my gosh how many how many future defensive linemen or linebackers or defensive backs saw what georgia did there and and and, and how many of, of those future prospects are looking to be a part of a program like georgia how many current georgia players are now more motivated to be the best version of themselves they can be because what the guys that have come before them in this program have been able to do there as well it becomes very easy to think about this draft from a defensive standpoint but pretty quietly i think there's a way in which the 2022 draft can also help Georgia on the other side of the ball there as well. I want to show you this uh, tweet for a second. Daniel Jeremiah is probably the NFL draft analyst that I probably respect more than any other. I don't really know why. I just like his takes. I feel like that. It, it, I feel like the stuff that he does is just better than what McShay or, or Kuiper do for ESPN. I, I've always just kind of liked Daniel Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had a recent take on Twitter regarding James Cook, who was a selection of the Buffalo Bills. 
Uh, this is what Jeremiah says about James Cook. He says, one thought after the Bills at James Cook, good luck to the AFC East linebackers. This is what uh, Jeremiah says. He says, Cook makes you miss and is a nightmare in the passing game. Josh Allen got a big time weapon. This is a pick with a big impact week one. Interesting stuff from Daniel Jeremiah. Some of the other stuff that I'm reading out of Buffalo also suggests that I think they kind of value Cook in the passing game right now, maybe more so than they value him in the running game. He actually may function a little bit like a wide receiver there in that Buffalo offense. Now, you know, I'm not as plugged into the NFL as some of you are, but I do watch this league on a pretty regular basis. I will tell you that I kind of view Buffalo as kind of one of the cool teams in the NFL right now. Very fun offense. Uh, Josh Allen, obviously, kind of a high-power quarterback. This is kind of a up-tempo, you know, pretty explosive offense. Now that offense features James Cook. To me, I think James Cook for Buffalo has a chance to be a little bit, I'm not talking about like stats necessarily, I'm talking about like sort of cultural impact. I think Cook in Buffalo has a chance to be a little bit like what McCole Hardman has proven to be for the Kansas City Chiefs. Hardman, especially when they were making their Super Bowl run a couple of years ago, is just kind of a cool guy. You know, he's doing the costume thing, you know, the movie stuff, showing up to the to the stadiums before the games. And, you know, clearly he's a speedster, and I think he's going to have an even bigger role for Kansas City this year because of some of the personnel moves they've made. But, uh, you know, this is a guy that's just um, – I mean, he's just – you know he's a very explosive player playing in kind of a fun cool offense it becomes easy to kind of get excited about him in that in that Kansas City offense the future and, and for you know current recruits they can look at Cook and say hey I'd like to be like that I'd like I'd like to emulate that with my college career my pro career there's a little bit of a cool cachet that Hardman has given Georgia because of the stuff that he's done with the Kansas City Chiefs you know kind of beyond that I think Cook could become a little bit of a version for that with Buffalo, too. Now, Buffalo, we kind of know it as bad weather and things like that, but it's actually, if you're watching the games on a Sunday in, Sunday out basis, it's kind of one of the cool, fun offenses around the uh, the NFL, and now it features James Cook. And as Cook puts up the kind of numbers that Daniel Jeremiah predicts that he might be able to put up, and others around Buffalo seem to have pretty high hopes for him there, too, I think it becomes the kind of thing where maybe more people kind of look at what George has produced offensively and then say all of a sudden now there's a there's a spec for what I can be there's a there's a comp for what I hope my career kind of looks like the way that uh, Brock Bowers has provided that for tight ends you know James Cook might provide that for a kind of explosive running backs in the passing game you heard Kirby talk about that a little bit the other day too and also uh, you know what a guy like uh, McCall Hartman's done for the Kansas City Chiefs there as well so in a lot of ways, what Georgia did with the 2022 draft was a very dominant defensive performance. Five guys in the first round, that's a record-setting performance off one defense. And some of the offensive stuff may have gone below the radar there a little bit. But there are a lot of people who believe that, um, that Buffalo may have big plans, a very creative way of using James Cook. If that's the case... I think in a roundabout way, that kind of benefits the future of the Georgia offense there as well, as maybe more top recruits kind of sign up to kind of travel the path that Cook traveled as a part of the program there at UGA there as well. That is around the doghouse for us here today. Before we are done, we are going to get into some of the NIL chatter that's out there. We previewed some of this for yesterday. It's actually gotten a little bit more intense even since we last spoke. So we're going to talk about what I kind of view as a little bit of a shift change out there right now, where some people seemingly speaking up more and more about are we sure we like how all this is trending right now is this getting even crazier than it's gotten before and we'll talk about what that means i'll give you one very prominent example of how that's happened we'll do that before we're done 
But for now, there is more to address in terms of what goes down the NFL draft and kind of how it benefits Georgia and what comes next. Let's do all of that as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley right now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, so Connor, well, we will say hello to Connor Riley. Let me try to slow down and speak clearly here for a moment. Connor had great draft coverage for us here over the course of the weekend. I really enjoyed reading a lot of that. I know it's an event he loves, and following the twists and turns was great. I guess Connor's way of kind of getting our conversation started. Let me go big picture with you for a moment, then we'll kind of get into more of the specifics there as well. It's 15 guys drafted, five in the first round, all off the defense. Uh, the talk literally of Las Vegas was all of the dogs who populated you know, three different NFL teams taking multiple UGA players. You can slice it up any way you want to. Just a very prolific performance for the dogs in the draft. What was your kind of big picture takeaway on the entire thing? So I'm a huge NFL fan, first of all. And the thing that I came back, and I kind of touched on this in a tweet yesterday, the New England Patriots had multiple chances to take Georgia football players specifically at the positions of their needs. And I'm actually kind of furious that they did it. You know, first round, they trade out of 21. They could have had Nicobe Dean multiple times. They could have had George Pickens as a wide receiver. They could have had why uh, they could have had Lewis seen as a safety there. They're going to have all this wonderful talent. Guys that I have no doubt are going to be great players at the next level. And then the Patriots didn't take a single one of them. And then they go on to have the worst draft, in my opinion, of the team's drafting. And the fact that they didn't take a Georgia Bulldog probably is a coincidence of what they're trying to build up there. Yeah, as far as the guys taking the first round, you know, who do you like the fit for the best? Who who do you think is going to be, I guess, the most well received by the by, by the fan base that brings him in there of the dogs in the first round? I know there's a little bit of debate going on in Jacksonville about Trayvon Walker, and I think it's kind of an interesting debate. Um, other guys seem to be a little bit, I guess, more well received, and there's some chatter in Green Bay about once again not giving Aaron Rodgers any offensive help there. But what did you make of the? Sp- particular fits for the dogs that were taken in the first round i would go with jordan davis to the philadelphia eagles because you look at who they were pairing him with on that defensive line fletcher cox a potential hall of famer there a guy you can learn from and maybe ultimately develop into but a guy whose complementary skill set is going to allow jordan davis to do what he does on the field right now and i think he's going to a place where when you add in a Kobe Dean there as well and add trading for A.J. Brown, I think the Eagles have really positioned themselves well going forward. When you have a guy like Jordan Davis, and then you bring in his teammate, Kobe Dean, who I think the two of us would probably say were the two most impactful Georgia defenders this past season. When you get the two of those guys, I think it really speaks to what, you know, what Georgia built and the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles and Howie Roseman has said as much when talking about it. The fact that they found this kind of success and drafted those guys, I think, speaks louder than anyone, louder than somehow even the Green Bay Packers of what Georgia is building at the next level. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Of course, the Eagles also drafted Kobe Dean there as well. And what I said yesterday about Dean Connor is, I won't pretend to know if he will be successful at the NFL level or not. There's a certain level of mystery that comes with all draft picks. But the frustration that I have here is, is to me, this is the kind of error the NFL personnel men make over and over and over again. They overestimate their own ability to kind of make accurate draft selections, and they're too afraid to buck whatever they think is the predominant viewpoint of their their colleagues here. In other words, are you going to tell me that some sort of unknown commodity, especially if that linebacker may have played a lesser, a lesser level of competition, 
is somehow a safer pick than a possibly injured Dean. Dean says he's not, but those rumors probably didn't come from nowhere. I mean, Dean obviously acknowledged during uh, 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 this combine he was dealing with the pectoral issue. But the point here is, if I've got a player who played at a high level, even if he is a little smaller, and even if he's possibly dealing with an injury, that whatever, whatever you know intrigue is added by those issues the performance on the field to me is still a safer bet than some other guy that i think you know may play at at a you know lower level of play all the way around there is there's room to be wrong on both sides but the fact that these nfl personnel men constantly air in cases like this away from the on-field production because of whatever they value from the combine numbers or you know afraid they're gonna get laughed at if they pick a player that's been injured this is the kind of error i feel like i see nfl personnel men make a lot this time of year so i, I my two sort of takeaways on this are one when you, when you, you hear that and talking about measurables well yes nicobe dean fell and i think jamari sawyer fell in part of this as well Measurables also help Georgia in the sense that that's the reason Trayvon Walker went number one overall. It's the reason Quay Walker was the first linebacker taken in this draft. And so you do see it work both ways where it benefits Georgia in some senses and hurts them in another. As far as, you know, your larger point there about NFL guys outsmarting themselves, I'd like to think you consider yourself as a Falcons fan, Uh, even though they did take Justin Schaefer and John Fitzpatrick in the sixth round there. Man, I, I just have a really hard time seeing Troy Anderson and D'Angelo Malone, two small school linebackers who have those measurables, those traits that you were looking for, as better linebackers than Nicobe Dean. And even if, you know, Dean maybe doesn't get to the end of his second contract because injuries sort of add up. I mean, what you're going to get at that, especially in the second round where you, you might, if, if you do it well anyway, like you see the Baltimore Ravens so often do, they'll take guys in the second, third, and fourth round knowing that they're just probably not going to be able to re-sign them because they develop into guys who become big-ticket items. I, I just don't see how you could pass on N'Kobe Dean twice, I think three times actually in that second round, and take a second and third round, and then take two different off-ball linebackers ahead of him. And so here's what I think a lot of folks understand, is they look at the frustration that Georgia fans who live in Georgia, who also like the Falcons, have with the Falcons over the not drafting the Georgia players – there are a lot of people who think, well, this is just kind of made up out of thin air and it's it's not, you know, fair to Atlanta or it's not, you know, backed up by factual accuracy, or whatever else. But what people don't realize is, and I'm going to kind of predate you a little bit here on this is, is that for a lot of people, especially my age, this is one of those things that's been going on for years. And I truly don't think there's like some true anti-UGA bias on the part of the Falcons. I think there's a little bit of jealousy based on the popularity that UGA has, but I don't think there's an actual bias there. But there are people who remember when go back to the 80s when the Falcons needed a running back. They took Steve Broussard from Washington State instead of Rodney Hampton. Hampton, the Georgia guy, went on to a much better career. In the 90s, you know, kind of middle rounds of the draft, drafting a wide receiver, Falcons passed on Heinz Ward to take Jamie German. Obviously, we know what kind of you know player that Heinz Ward turned out to be. That in a lot of ways, this Dean story right now feels like it kind of rhymes with some of the things we've seen Atlanta do in the past. Now, as I said before, I wouldn't stake my reputation that Nicobe Dean's a great player in the NFL because the draft is just it's just filled with can't miss guys who sometimes do. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing to predict. Even the people who do it for a living don't get their picks right much more than 50 percent of the time here. But boy, this feels awful similar to things we've seen the, the Falcons kind of do in the past when it comes to prominent UGA players. Right. And, and, you know, there's obviously a very real world where Troy Anderson of Montana State and D'Angelo Malone out of Western Kentucky 
both go on to have successful NFL careers. And Arthur Smith even talked about it because they did in fact take two Georgia players and Smith said, you know, it's not, it's nice that it happens, but that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to go out there and draft good football players who fit within our personality. My, my follow-up to that is how does Nicobe Dean not fit your personality? I mean, the guy was a winner at the collegiate level. He, and that, and that might, that might be revealing the answer there itself, but like, I, I just, with everything that Kobe did, like there are no off the field questions or concerns when it comes to Nakobe Dean. Sure. He has injuries that have mounted up in the labrum surgery, the pectoral injury. We, we don't know how serious that actually is, but in, in hearing, you know, them talk about guys who want to fit in your football program. I think a big reason why Trayvon Walker went ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau and I don't, I don't know Thibodeau nearly as well as I know Trayvon Walker like Trayvon Walker is what like a football coach would in terms of not even like physical abilities or strength, but in terms of like the mentality you need to have as a football player, he is like a coach's dream in terms of what he has there. And I think that played into the fact that Walker ends up going in, in, in as the number one overall pick over a guy in Thibodeau who had better college production, but Trayvon Walker ate slate eats, sleeps and thinks about football all hours of the day. And, and I think NFL minds found that attractive. So when, when it comes back to Nicobe Number one overall was a good pick over like Thibodeau or maybe even Hutchinson. Do you like that pick for the Jacks? I would have taken Aiden Hutchinson, Hutchinson first overall. And, and the reason why, and I think some of this is getting misconstrued a little bit when we talk about Trayvon Walker, because unfortunately I went very deep down the rabbit hole of, you know, why is he being talked about this way? One, it's not Trayvon Walker's fault that there wasn't a, a consensus number one overall pick. Two, he was just never asked to be a, a pure edge rusher in the way that both Thibodeau and Hutchinson were at the college level. And so there are some, I think, legitimate questions about whether or not he can do that on a consistent level, especially at the NFL level. But at the same point in time, let's also not sit here and say that, oh, he's all toolsy. Trevon Walker was an incredible football player for Georgia. The, re- the difference between Hutchinson and Walker is Georgia asked H- Trayvon Walker to do a bunch of different things. Move inside on, on, on third down so you can get more pass, pass rushers on the outside. Uh, drop back in coverage occasionally. They were, Michigan was not asking Aiden Hutchinson to do that. And Trayvon Walker did all of that and did all of it very well as well. So I, I think Trayvon Walker ha- has actually perhaps a higher floor than people are willing to give him credit for. But at the end of the day, when you're drafting number one overall, I would have prefer I personally would have preferred more of a sure thing in Aiden Hutchinson, knowing that I think I know what he's going to be, even if Trayvon Walker admittedly does have the higher football ceiling because he's been able to figure out how to do so many different things on the football field already. You agree with the premise that I established a moment ago that McCole Hardman doing cool things with the Chiefs kind of makes Georgia cooler in the process. James Cook's getting a lot of buzz right now in Buffalo. I think of Buffalo as kind of a cool team right now. How much does that help Georgia? We think of this as kind of a defensive dominated draft for UGA, but Cook and Buffalo, I'll add, you know, George Pickens and Pittsburgh. They seem to be pretty excited about him. He seems to be kind of enjoying himself uh, in the early stages there of, of his Steelers career there too. How much of an extra cool factor does a Pickens, a Cook, guys who went really pretty high in this draft, how much does that help Georgia in its pursuit of continued, you know, advancing of its playmakers yeah I, you know i mike mike griffith disagrees with this and wrote it but i think the fit for james cook and buffalo is perfect in terms of what he's going to be able to do and how they're going to be able to use him and i think george pickens goes to a pretty good spot in pittsburgh especially when you look not just in the past like two to three years but over the past you know 10 15 years since mike Tomlin has been the head coach there they've been able to get a lot of production out of guys taking the second third and fourth rounds antonio brown 
Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool. Uh, I have no doubt that if George Pickens is able to keep the main thing, the main thing, so to speak, he's going to be an incredibly productive player for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And so when you have those kind of guys, and I think to your point as well, and Michael Hardman and the stride, I think we're going to see him make this year. There's real optimism that, Hey, you know, Georgia's got some cool skill players, guys who have skill sets that, translate to an NFL offense and that in turn I think helps you further recruiting because at the end of the day if NIL happens to be number one and I don't think it's the number one thing kids look at right now if there's like a podium championship success and NFL draft success in my opinion are still number one and two and you're seeing Georgia dominate that within this past year. I want to talk to you about what's next for Georgia maybe even looking into the 2023 draft now that might impact the 2022 season to close out our conversation but a lot of you know this is our Kroger fresh take with with our friends at Kroger right now and a lot of you also know there as well that we're giving out our awards our winners for our championship mom celebration courtesy of Kroger this is one of my favorite times of the year because I love telling these stories I want to tell the story today of Alexis Hawkyard who is our winner for today uh, her husband Dan nominates her uh, he, here's what he writes in I want to read this to you. He says, I love the show. I want to nominate my wife, Alexis, for championship moms. Uh, he says, we welcomed our firstborn uh, son just a few days before the Clemson game to start the championship season. He says, we joked that uh, he was born so the Braves and dogs get over the hump. How about that for uh, uh, their young uh, son, the idea that all he knows is championships since coming into the world here, which is a uh, uh, certainly a, a great thing. He also says that his wife, Alexis, though, has a blood disorder that makes her prone to clotting. From the day she found out she was pregnant until we left for the hospital, she had to inject herself with blood thinners twice daily, he says. She never once complained when no one would blame her. She was always happy to do what was best for our son long before uh, he was uh, born. He says, not long before our son was born, we were informed that we would need to help it. And you see that obviously on the screen there. Uh, as the back of his head was uh, very flat, uh, he says that she took the opportunity to make his helmet fun and turning it into a little dog. And that's right. Got the white stripe coming down the front there. Got the Georgia G there on the side. That is actually an awesome thing uh, to see. Dan says that his wife is a constant optimist in the face of sacrifice and a natural caregiver. What an amazing story and what a well-written uh, email by Dan there to celebrate his wife, uh, Alexis, who is our first Kroger championship mom I love this time of year. I love celebrating these stories because what Alexis is doing for her son there and as part of her family is really representative of what so many of you who are moms do in our audience. And it's just really, really cool to be able to celebrate that here. We'll have another story for you tomorrow. Alexis, though, there gets us off to a great start. And by the way, as you're thinking about honoring the moms in your life, also keep Kroger in mind as we head towards the weekend. Big savings on the gift cards and all the other fun stuff. Stuff for a big meal that you might be planning. A lot of you like to do the kind of the cookout thing on Mother's Day. Well, you get uh, cool savings, a lot of that kind of stuff there as well. Uh, flowers, everything else you need. Get stocked up, ready to go for Mother's Day at your local Kroger or Kroger.com for a lot more on that. Kroger.com slash Mother's uh, Day, too, for that. You can find out more details on the great Mother's Day savings and opportunities there at Kroger. And by the way, congratulations to Alexis, who is a big winner, our first championship mom, courtesy of Kroger. All right, Connor, the time we have left, let me uh, bring you into the discussion. So a year ago, I just said it over and over and over again, tons of drafts prove it. You got to have about a half dozen first round guys. Otherwise, the bouncer is not letting you in the club. You are not in the national championship conversation if you don't have that. I think the anonymous coach quoted by ESPN is about right. Right now, it seems on paper, Georgia's probably got maybe about three. Easy to put Ringo there. Obvious to put Jalen Carter there. Maybe even Nolan Smith there too. But you got to find three more somewhere. 
Offensive line, maybe. I made my case for a guy like Gilbert really thrilling us and moving himself in that discussion. But if Georgia's a national championship again, type team again next year, you got to find three more somewhere. Uh, do you agree with the premise and who are your three? So I do agree with your premise there in, in terms of you need guys that have NFL level skill sets. And look, I, I wrote a story, you know, and I think about the draft more than just about anybody. When it comes to these 2023 mock drafts, instead of clicking and reading, you know, hey, this is who we think are going to be first round picks next year. Just go back and look at like for next year, for example, go look at the 2020 recruiting rankings because a that's essentially what these guys are doing. And two, I think while recruiting rankings are imperfect, they do give us a good idea of who has the certain types of measurables that are going to allow guys to stand out, which we saw was the case this year with Trayvon Walker, Evan Neal, offensive lineman for the New York Giants, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think Broderick Jones is a guy who is on track to be a, a, a first round type talent, especially with what he is able to do this year. I think as a starter, if you're asking me to name those other three, because I agree. I definitely agree on Carter and Ringo. I'm going to be really interested what Nolan Smith measures in at because there are just not a whole lot of guys at his size necessarily at the NFL level. But if he has the production to match along with the work ethic, the off the field intangibles and everything there, I could see a world very easily where he is a first round pick, but he does not have the same side sort of no doubt about it measurables that Keely Ringo and Jalen Carter have. I could certainly see, I think, Kendall Milton, if he has a really strong season this year. Now, running backs don't always go in the first round. But, you know, if you're a James, like a James Cook, a, a Brees Hall type player where you have the athletic skill set, even if you're going in the second round, that's a positional thing. Um, I, I think Cedric Von Prahn could certainly be a guy there. I do want to caution against this because when I saw pro football focus, those bozos yesterday, what they did, they released their way too early top 10 and, and don't give any you know credence to that because last year they would, they told you Spencer Rattler was going to be a number one overall pick. He's in the transfer portal. Uh, you have Spencer, you have uh, Emery Jones was supposedly going to be a top 10 pick. He's in the transfer portal. I am saying this now and I am saying this loud and, and you touched on a earlier and why there is optimism there. Keep a name out your flimsy mock drafts keep a name out your flimsy mock drafts the guy has played eight career games in, in, in his college career yes he has the athletic ability and yes what we saw from him this spring was encouraging but let's get to the Oregon game first before we start counting him and let's see him compete in a really talented tight end room I think a big reason why John Fitzpatrick got drafted which I think surprised maybe some people out there Look, he was an invaluable piece in that tight end room, even playing on a broken foot, two broken feet, I should say, and only having five receptions last year. And with a healthy Brock Bowers, a healthy Darnell Washington, Brett Seiter's a really good player who I have no doubt could go compete and, and contribute at about half a dozen SEC schools. Oscar Delp is talented. Arik Gilbert's going to have to earn his way onto the field next season. And I want to see him do that before anointing him as a first-round pick and a guy that can absolutely slam dunk, no doubt about it, help this Georgia offense. You know, a few weeks ago that I was not going to hype him up, and I made it almost a month without doing that. So I feel like <laughs> so I feel like I'm, I'm well on my way here there on that. I think the point on Gilbert is it just speaks to what is possible for Georgia. Like you said, I mean, it's projecting a lot on a guy who, I mean, Terrence Edwards told us the other day an All-American season from him would just be back on the field and competing again, just given what he's been through. And, I, and in, in all seriousness, I actually do take that very seriously when a guy like uh, Terrence or even Kirby Smart when he says that. But to me, it's about what's possible. Now, I'll also say this, that for my six, 
I also count guys who are not draft eligible who are eventually going to be that type of guy who may be playing that way as kind of a young person right now. So Brock Bowers gets you there pretty easily, I would say. So now you're only looking for two more. And like start thinking about this for a moment, Connor. Between all of those, Dalen Everett, Julian Humphrey, you know, uh, Malachi Starks, all of those like incoming freshmen in the secondary spot. I don't know which one it's going to be. But are you going to tell me that one of those guys doesn't really pop this year? I mean, like one of those, you know, a couple of those young guys defensively don't show you the look of an eventual first round pick. They're just too young to be that way right now that it doesn't necessarily also have to be draft eligible guys for the upcoming year. Uh, you know, Derek Stingley was a big part of LSU in the national championship in 2019. He was a true freshman. I'm not saying that Georgia has a Stingley right now. I'm saying that Georgia's got a big population of potential breakout guys where you really only need one or two of them to, to pop, and all of a sudden the 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 image of Georgia is is greatly raised by that. So so it's it's important to note that Georgia doesn't need a ton of like miraculous breakout seasons to really kind of be back in a similar conversation to what it was a year ago. Can I zag a little bit? I know you were touching a little bit there on defensive backs. Can I go another position? Please. Let's talk a little bit about the wide receivers. And obviously they have to stay healthy first and foremost there. But I look at what Debo Samuel was able to do, and I'm not comparing this guy to Debo Samuel, but with what we saw out of Curious Jackson this spring and the way Georgia in the past has shown they're going to highlight how to use him. If he goes out and tests well and has a really healthy season, I think he's absolutely a player that, you know, wide receiver there are so many of them it might be tough like you saw with George's here to crack that upper echelon but you're a first or second round receiver I think Kiaris Jackson with a good season could potentially develop into that and in talking about traits and measurables there Varian Smith is able to stay on the field. He has first round speed and that is a difference maker for Georgia. And even in games against say in Alabama, against the Texas A&M, whoever they end up playing ultimately at the SEC West, because I don't think it'll be, it, it, it'd actually be more miraculous if Georgia didn't end up playing the SEC championship game than if they did. I, I think with Arian Smith's speed, he's the fastest player on the field every time he steps on the field. And that is the sort of thing that if you're looking for small differences in those big games, I think that is an example that we could possibly see this coming season. Yeah, it's the same thing I was kind of saying before with, with this position group where it's about numbers, right? I mean, for someone like me who wants one of these guys to break out, whether it's Arian because of the speed, Karras because of the experience, A.D. Mitchell just because he's better than a lot of folks realize, whatever the reasoning is, man, if one of those guys is that, if one of those guys gets paired with a Brock Bowers, if, if one of those guys kind of emerges from that group, Connor, it changes the fortunes of the Georgia offense. In two years under Todd Munkin, this offense has been way better than it was the previous year. How do you get way better in year three for Todd Munkin? You probably do have to find another big offensive playmaker somewhere. We could debate who that is, but the fact there aren't shortages of options to be that guy, I think it's what makes the offseason conversation pretty fun. So as someone who follows your show incredibly closely, last year you were talking about Georgia doesn't necessarily need a 1,000-yard receiver, but they need the 800-yard receiver. They need a guy they know they can go to, and they got it in Brock Bowers. And you were happy with that. It got Georgia a national championship. And now this time around you're asking for two guys to sort of get to that number. You want to get to two. Are you telling me that a year from now you're going to be asking for three guys to get to that number? Is that sort of the, the, the trend line we're following here? But in all seriousness, if two guys do get there this year, then by 2023, you could be three for 23. <laughs> Listen, that's the hashtag right there. Give me three for 23. We've already got that. But that's how you get to, 
around 42 points per game. That's kind of the number I'm looking for for Georgia right now. The truth is, I think the defense actually going to still be really good. I'd like to see this offense score about 42 points per game. If it does, I think it could be in the conversation for being you know as prolific as anybody's going to be offensively here this year. Uh, but how do you get there? You got to find one more. You got to cultivate that one more playmaker to go with what you already think you have, and that's one of the ways I think you do get there. Yeah, and I would certainly agree with that. And I do think the offense has to be a little bit better this season than what we saw last year, even though, you know, say what you want about Stetson Bennett, that offense was still incredibly productive over the course of the season. And in reality, if they were playing, you know, the full course of the games and didn't take their foot off the pedal in the fourth quarter because they're already up by so much, you probably could have seen them get there. So I absolutely think there's the potential for that. One thing I want to note here, and well, this will sort of tie everything in together. People are still putting Spencer Rattler in the top 10 of these way too early mock drafts. And I know the Mel Kuyper, you're going to touch on a little bit saying there are seven first round quarterbacks next year. I'll take the under on that because I just don't think there are seven teams in the NFL that need first round quarterbacks next year. Week three, Georgia goes to South Carolina. And I have a good feeling there's going to be a lot of people gassing up that South Carolina program. I don't know who they play the first two weeks as long as they're not week before playing Georgia. There'll be an underdog in that spot. That's not an unwinnable game when you've got Rattler on the road there. If they were to pull the upset at Ar- – we said this a million times. If they pull the upset at Arkansas the week before hosting Georgia, that could be game day. Columbia is going to be a madhouse for Georgia-South Carolina. And I think the Georgia win before, you know, 40 points. But, um, but still, the hype going into the game could be quite substantial based on what South Carolina does – at Arkansas the week before playing Georgia because Gamecocks could win in in, in Fayetteville if the uh, cards right, fall right for them. So, and and that speaks perfectly to my point. South Carolina is going to get it, be a team that gets a lot of September love. And you and I both know Arkansas, Sam Pittman, they're going to want to be a physical football team. And, and that's going to be a knockdown drag out game when they play. Boy, I'd hate to play this Georgia team that's looking to prove a point with their defense and what they have. And, he, and they're going to hear all week about Spencer Rattler and how good he is and potentially coming off that win against Arkansas, that he's a you know potential top 10 quarterback in the Oklahoma experience where he got benched and then transferred is behind him. I'd be very weary of that. And ultimately, by the end of this season, I think this defense is going to be a pretty darn good one full of NFL prospects. It's the 2018 game all over again, right, where South Carolina was in the top 25. Georgia goes up there. Georgia you know, completely blew them out. I feel like the same kind of thing could be emerging. Connor, that's a great conversation. It's a fun time to be doing that this time of year. Good stuff. Thanks for being here today for our Kroger Fresh Take. Yep, as always, it's a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I love this time of year because this is that time in which kind of unofficially the notion of a way too early top 25 becomes a preseason top 25. And the notion of uh, – Let's look way ahead to what Georgia might have next season. All of a sudden, that's not quite so way ahead anymore. You know, whether it's official or unofficial, once you draft these guys off and get them in the NFL, now the next guys, you know, that, you know, this is their time to shine, right? I mean, they are on the stage themselves. It's one of those things where next season kind of becomes this season. And thinking about the Georgia schedule and thinking about all that kind of stuff, not too soon to do that. We are going to do more quarterback stuff uh, here in a minute, but I've kind of told y'all before. My sort of somewhat like quake take for the upcoming year is I think Spencer Rattler has a better year than Caleb Williams does. Now, I don't know that the teams necessarily perform better because USC, the other USC in this case, uh, probably plays a little bit more of a favorable schedule. But I'll take Rattler to outperform Williams on the field this year. That's kind of my fun sort of quake take type uh, 
type look at the upcoming uh, year. All right, let's get ready to uh, move on now. Let's get ready to go cruising around the SCC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. Always great to be able to do that. And y'all know how much fun we had on the recent first ever cruise with Dog Nation. And as I told you yesterday, it kind of gets me thinking, okay, when's my next cruise going to be? And for a lot of the folks who were on board with us, I think they're thinking about that too. Or maybe you heard about all the fun we have and you're thinking about, okay, when's my first cruise going to be? I've heard BA talking about this and all the cool stuff there. I got to be on board. I got to have my own cruise there as well. Now's the time to do it. I'd recommend you reach out to our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. Go to their website, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. Or give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. Find out about all all the great options that are available to you, whether it be, you know, you hear us talking about going to the Caribbean, but you also got some great opportunities in Alaska heading this summer and really all kinds of places all around. I think when you get on board, if you're watching the video, you see this for yourself. The thing that I can't recommend enough when it comes to Royal Caribbean are the great entertainment options. You know, a lot of the folks that were with us, they watched the Broadway musical Grease while on board. Uh, I love the live music stuff. Uh, you know, some of the ships, especially the Oasis class ships, have that aqua theater on the back of the ship where you see the high diving show at sea. This is an amazing thing to accomplish. Uh, headliner acts, I think, are always really fun. It's just a great, great experience to kind of take your vacation that next level. That's what Royal Caribbean's all about. Our friends, the Cruise and Vacation Authority, can help get you booked up. TCAVA.com or 770-952-8300 for a lot more on that. 770-952-8300 for a lot more on that. All right, let's get a few stories here. And I want to get some of the NIL stuff before the show is done today. And uh, we're going to pick up the pace here just a little bit. So former LSU defensive back, recent transfer to Alabama, Elias Ricks, the, uh, was arrested over the weekend. So I guess he was pulled over. Uh, no proof of insurance. Also had a little bit of a marijuana type thing there as well. Honestly, don't know where any of this is kind of heading because obviously uh, the attitudes and even the, the, the legal approach to marijuana is so much different than it used to be here. Uh, but he was uh, taken in on this. So Rick, so we think of as a pretty big part of the Alabama program for the upcoming season, uh, dealing with a little bit of legal hot water. So we'll continue to kind of follow that a uh, little bit there. Uh, Rick is obviously you know a, a big part of the lsu program also one of those guys was kind of rumored to transfer a while ultimately it didn't happen when it when you first thought it might but then kind of lands at alabama and really is kind of a part of what is kind of a redefining the alabama program right now where they just become very comfortable taking transfers one of our buddies uh, frankie fibonacci on twitter calls them the east west shrine team because they've essentially kind of pulled cast offs from from other programs they're trying to build a program culture that way I'm actually going to talk more about this in a moment. I don't know how easy that is to necessarily do, but but Rick's supposed to be a big part of that defense. I don't know if this can ultimately be that much of a setback on that, but it is a little bit of, a, of an issue for right now, and so we'll kind of follow that from a legal standpoint and see where that takes Rick's going from here. Uh, one of the top defensive back prospects in the class of 23-3, Caleb Downs, has announced a official visit to Georgia. He's got one coming up here in the month of June. This is one of those names of a guy that we're going to be following very, very closely as you head towards that process we had downs on tv a couple times last year i'm sure we'll be doing that again uh, on peachtree tv with our friends at score atlantis we head towards this upcoming season there as well one of the big potential gets of the class of 2023 georgia in high pursuit and we are certainly all over uh that right now continuing to follow that story in a big way heading towards the summer uh, also told you uh, about mel kuyper jr on the adam schefter podcast so Kuyper's early 2023 pick is there could be as many as seven first-round quarterbacks the upcoming season. Now, what Connor Riley said a moment ago is something I've kind of also, I guess, considered myself, but also kind of thought about, which is, 
you know, there's always kind of been thought to be this sort of shortage of quarterbacks in the NFL, but now that's probably less true than it used to be. There are actually more teams than you might realize who are kind of happy with their current quarterback situation. Uh, so, you know, maybe there aren't seven teams that actually need first round quarterbacks, but, but the point here is, is there is clearly thought to be a level of depth at the quarterback spot for the upcoming year that did not exist for the 2022 draft. And what's interesting to me is, is how many of those guys are on the Georgia schedule for the upcoming year. You want to start thinking about Georgia's schedule? We just did some of that with Connor a moment ago. One of the things to kind of think about about the Georgia schedule are how many talented quarterbacks Georgia could be facing. More talented quarterbacks, I would say, on this schedule for the upcoming year than kind of what you're kind of maybe used to seeing just because sometimes that's not what the SEC is most known for whether it be guys who will be in that first round conversation like a Spencer Rattler or a, a Will Levis at Kentucky make sure he's a part of that discussion that you're having eventually a guy like Bryce Young in the postseason maybe but also other guys there as well you know Hendon Hooker coming back for Tennessee Will Rogers at Mississippi State working in the uh, Mike Leach uh, offense that when you think about Georgia for the upcoming season, when you think about the games in which it could most likely be challenged, the games in which Georgia is going to be now a more narrow favorite, the presence of a, a quarterback getting some hype is going to kind of be a part of that. I'd also add Anthony Richardson in that discussion. You know, we can kind of laugh about Florida around here, and you know, Anthony Richardson was certainly never a guy that seemed to truly earn the favor of the previous coach there, Dan Mullen, but Richardson was kind of given the reins during the spring game. Coming out of the game there in Gainesville, he was just being heaped praise upon. I'm not certainly not saying he's going to be a first-round pick or anything like that, but in what is kind of already being touted as the kind of the gear of the quarterback – there are a lot of quarterbacks with some hype and some, you know, some some chatter that are going to be on the Georgia schedule. So when you think about how Georgia is going to navigate what awaits it in 2022, dealing with some quarterbacks, getting some attention going to be a big part of that. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Let's also talk for a bit about what has kind of been a little bit of a hot topic right now. So Jordan Addison is a wide receiver at Pitt, and he was the Blitnikoff Award winner. And there was a rumor that popped up a couple of days ago that he was going to transfer to USC. And, you know, we're still kind of waiting to find out exactly what's going on here and, and, and things like that. But the immediate response to all of this was, oh, this is clearly tampering because the rumor to USC was kind of erupting here before Addison was even officially even in the uh, transfer portal that that all of this kind of pops up and you're left to wonder wait we just have teams now throwing out big NIL opportunities and just yanking guys off somebody else's roster and so much so that USC which was the source of these rumors initially has had to kind of backtrack on this a little bit the narrative that seems to be being pushed out of LA is Oh, well, you know, Caleb Williams, the quarterback and Addison, they're kind of from that same, uh, you know, general uh, sort of beltway area. They're already friends. This is kind of the connection here. It's not the NIL offering a guy who's kind of at the center of everything for USC right now is the uh, radio host, Colin Cowherd. This is some of what Cowherd said about the Addison to to L.A., Addison to USC topic on his radio show yesterday. This is Colin Cowherd talking about the pit wide receiver, Jordan Addison, who could be on the move. Jordan Addison and Caleb Williams are friends. It's not tampering when friends talk. Joy and I talk about our industry all the time. I've had people at other companies come to me. Joy has had other people. We're under contract. It's not tampering. People call. They talk. It's agents. It's friends. It's allies. It's coaches. Caleb Williams talks to Jordan Addison. You think Lincoln Riley really got on the phone? He didn't. 
Kids talk. Quarterbacks and receivers talk. They know each other. What Colin Coward is saying there is total nonsense, first of all. Like, just because you're friends with someone, that does not negate a legal document. Now, you can debate whether or not the uh, letter of intent, you know, counts as a uh, binding legal document, but a employment contract is not negated because you have to be with friends with somebody else as someone who has a contract i can certainly say that con coward knows better than what he says there as well but as i said before it's also a little bit of an example of what is almost a little bit of a pr spin on this by usc after their rumors of nil and by the way addison's not the only wide receiver they're rumored to have kind of reached out to here but these rumors of nil and you know trying to pull a guy off the pit roster there's pretty clearly a pr campaign i think that uh espn reporter pete thamels helped out with this a little bit clearly colin coward's helping out with it right there of well actually this is about being friends with caleb williams this isn't about being offered a big nil deal this is about friends wanting to play together that's kind of the pr spin that kind of comes on this after the fact and listen some people don't seem to be bothered by this there are some people who are like hey you know who cares about tampering who cares about taking someone off a roster just a you know, a couple months before the start of summer practices and just a few months before the start of the season. This is no big deal. Who really cares about this? But there are always going to kind of be people who kind of say that kind of thing. What I have noticed more as of late, though, is what I kind of think of as a little bit of a shift change in that there are more people kind of speaking up more forcefully about the trend here, whether it be, you know, the story of Addison, the pit wide receiver, some of the stuff that's kind of gone on with Miami basketball as of late, some of the other stuff that's kind of out there this is starting to seem a little bit more problematic to more people than maybe at any point in time in kind of the NIL era, which is about a year old now. Let me give you an example. This is Aaron Taylor. Taylor is a CBS sports analyst. The clip I'm about to play is from a video that Taylor put on his Twitter account. This video has now gotten more than a million views. This is this has clearly been a little bit of a of a hot topic in the college ball world the last couple of years. The actual video itself is nearly two minutes long. I'm not going to play the entire thing. Just a little bit of a clip of what one analyst forcefully says here about how the current NIL stuff, presumably this is about the Addison story, how all of this is kind of unfolding right now and the problem that it that that it potentially suggests for college football. This is the CBS analyst Aaron Taylor. Empires don't stay empires forever. They crumble from within and almost always after great runs of dominance. We're at a tipping point, y'all. What's taking place right now behind the scenes in the NIL world is despicable. And it's dangerous and it's irresponsible. And this ain't about the kids getting theirs. Student athletes have always deserved a bigger piece of the pie. This is about the adults in the room. It's always been about the adults in the room, which is how we got the sham notion of amateurism in the first damn place. This is about the institutions and the donor bases and the development departments and the extremely successful men and women that make up that population. But this win by any means necessary mentality is a poison. It's termites. And those termites are eroding the fabric and foundation of what makes this sport the greatest on the planet. So my one criticism of the video from Taylor there that you heard a clip from is, like it's not really obvious what Taylor wants from the video. He's clearly unhappy with the current situation, but it's not really kind of obvious what what he wants to see occur because of all of this. It seems like there's almost a little bit of a contradictory logic that he uses there. But the general sense expressed in that one clip that he thinks the current kind of what I would describe as kind of anarchy around some of these NIL influence transfers. Taylor suggests that threatens the popularity of college football. And I actually kind of believe that's that's 
true a bit. It seems somewhat fatalistic to say it that way, but I do think to a degree that's kind of true here. And here, here's the one thing I would say is that some of this for me goes beyond just taking a good player off kind of like a mid-level team pit and putting him on a more high-profile team, even though USC is not very good, even with Addison. I don't think the Trojans will be very good if he, if he were to go there, but it's still kind of traveling to a more high-profile destination. USC has been a name-brand team. It's a big city, Los Angeles. There's, there's a little more to this than just good player leaving kind of mid-level program to go to what commonly is viewed as a higher-level program. And for a couple of seconds, I'm going to sound smarter than I actually am. You're familiar with game theory? You know what that is? Like, there's an aspect of game theory called the prisoner's dilemma, where like if two people get arrested for the same crime, that it sort of benefits both to turn on the other guy and basically betray that guy and say he did it because the overall risk just sort of works out to be better for you to kind of turn on somebody else. And we see this show up in like organizations and institutions all the time where if you assume that somebody else may be about to betray you or somebody else may not be fully bought into the team concept, then you're kind of incentivized not to kind of buy in either. And that's the important thing to keep in mind here is a guy like Addison leaving at this time of year to potentially go to USC, if he were to do that, is about more than one player transferring. It's about the belief that starts to take hold in college football that my teammates aren't bought into the team that I'm on and therefore maybe it doesn't behoove me to fully buy in either I mean think about Georgia here for a moment go back to last spring when the Georgia players were talking about how important those what were called skull sessions were getting to know each other feeling like they were all on the same team working towards the same mission John Fitzpatrick was on our show last week he reminded us once again that he felt like those skull sessions those meetings that the players have with each other connecting with each other as teammates that was as crucial towards winning a national championship as anything Georgia did along the way to doing that it was really kind of a a reboot after a pandemic year in which as we've said before players weren't meeting with each other players were opting out players weren't really quite so sure who their teammates were and there was really kind of a lack of cohesion with all teams in 2020 and most teams in 2021, George included, maybe they did it just a little bit better, but almost everybody was trying to find a way to, how do we regain the team concept here in 2021? Well, if these are the kinds of transfer stories we're going to be hearing in 2022 and beyond, good luck ever regaining a team concept again. Good luck ever allowing players to feel like the other players they're playing with are bought into the team and good luck ever having a team that sort of feels like a team ever again and i know that may seem kind of pollyannish but something would be lost because of that the player experience of being on a team would be less because of that so ultimately this is about more than just a high profile player potentially transferring it's about redefining what it means to be a part of a college football team and the players that are on those teams will suffer because of that so I'll be honest with you. I'm not really quite so sure what you do about all this. I have some opinions, but probably more than we have time to get into right now. But in terms of the categories that are being drawn up here of who thinks this is a problem and who doesn't, pretty clearly put me in the category of people who say some of what's going on right now is fairly obviously a a, a problem for college football. On a happier note here, we'll get ready to wrap things up here. Uh, we'll give out some golden shoe winners, a couple of very funny ones here today. I'll show you the first, and obviously always fun to make fun of those lousy, stinking gators. We'll do that. Our buddy George on tap shares us this uh, photo from No Context College Football of a Florida player holding up the L, the kind of the loser sign. 
George on tap says, this is what showing your teammates on what's coming on October 29th in Jacksonville looks like. He says, hashtag Gator Hater at Dog Nation Daily. George on tap, thanks for sharing that. That's actually really funny. Always enjoy doing that. By the way, speaking of the Alabama Crimson Tide, 15 Georgia players drafted. Jermaine King shares his tweet from UGA Spike Squad that says, how many players got drafted from the Dogs? How about 33 minus 18? 15, also the margin of victory for the Dogs in the National Championship game. Good stuff by uh, Jermaine King, who says math is fun. I love that. We'll give you a golden shoe there as well. By the way, speaking of the lousy stinging Gators, they've been taking L's for a long time, 4,863 days since they have won a national championship, and they are taking another loss to the Georgia Bulldogs as well. Let's do our Gator Hater countdown, 179 days from right now. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. Take a few of your comments here at dognation.com today. We talked yesterday, and I even kind of mentioned this off the show at the top today of, you know, sometimes as a sportsman, our job is just kind of appreciate history to sort of stop and say, wow, we're living through something that's special, and we're actually kind of lucky to be going through all of that. You know, we just happen to be around in our prime during probably the greatest single season in Georgia football history. And so I kind of talked about that off the top of the program yesterday. Silver Bridges weighs in to say, oh, I do appreciate it. That was a hell of an accomplishment by the dogs this season. Go dogs. So Jim Dog 85 also checks in to say, I was glad to see the Falcons finally come to their senses and draft uh, two dogs, Justin uh, Schaefer and uh, John Fitzpatrick. At first, I thought they were going to do a <laughs> going to uh, Kirby a solid and take them. But on further review, I think both players have a great shot to make the team. Yeah, I, I do as well. I mean, like here's the one story I have always told. We did an event a couple of summers ago with Scott Werner, who was obviously the, the uncle of Charlie Werner. You know, even back then when Charlie was still a player on the team, and you know, I think a lot of folks kind of had hoped Charlie would be used more effectively at Georgia than turned out to be. It was never as big a part of the offense. Some folks thought he would be. I remember Scott, who obviously knows a lot about football and you know had a great football career in his own right, was just very quite. It was very confident that Warner was eventually going to play in the NFL. That's kind of funny. That's exactly what has happened. And I remember the San Francisco 49ers. And the point is, is just obvious even at Georgia that Warner, even though he's kind of doing it away from the spotlight, was doing some things well that was going to give him a very good chance. And and Scott's belief, more likely than not, a chance of being you know, part of an NFL roster. And that's the way things turned out. I think that John Fitzpatrick's much the same way. I think he has a little bit of a high upside type of thing and that he's a taller guy. In one respect, maybe kind of remind you of, was it Levine Toyololo, the tight end of the Falcons used to have the super tall? Like in the uh, case of Fitzpatrick, he's kind of like, you know, that a little bit. But, I mean, this is a guy who's going to come in and be willing to do some of that dirty work and do some of the things that tight ends in the NFL are being asked to do with a paycheck on the line. You would imagine that Fitzpatrick's going to really fully embrace that. One of the things we're also going to talk about more on one of these shows one of these days this week is the fact that Georgia's now putting together a pretty good streak here of tight ends moving on to the NFL with the most talented crop of tight ends still on the Georgia roster. It's actually kind of a cool legacy that Todd Hartley's building for himself. And then Old Dog 76 checks in to say, I remember waking up the morning after the 1983 Sugar Bowl in a bleak mood. remember thinking it just might be better if the dogs weren't so near the top. Losses might not be so bad then. He says a few years later, the 1990s happened. In other words, things got worse. He says, we do need to take a moment to enjoy how far the dogs have come. And that's well said, old dog 76. And I get the impression that a lot of Georgia fans, be they a little younger and maybe not having all those rich memories of the past, or maybe guys who've experienced what you've experienced, a lot of folks come to the same conclusion that what's happened for Georgia here in 2021, the season resulting in a national championship, 
and the draft class that helped produce that. It truly is special. It truly is historic. And it's the kind of thing we should take time to appreciate now so that we'll have vivid memories of it in the future. So really well said, really good stuff. Thanks to all of you for being a part of our podcast, Cool Down Here, courtesy of R.S. Andrews. And as we get ready for that hot weather time of year, it's going to be high 80s today. That means your air conditioning unit needs to be tuned back up, ready to go for the upcoming warm weather season. So get what you need. Peace of mind as it gets tuned back up to factory fresh specs, just 99 bucks with our friends at R.S. Andrews. Find them online, rsandrews.com. We'll also see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.